1995 Board Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes for Crystal to finally decide to get rid of some of her board games. Yep, that's me. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're talking about how to let go of games you own. First, we discuss a couple games we've played recently, like That Time You Killed Me and Time Stories Revolution, The Hadal Project. Then, we revisit a topic that we discussed 100 episodes ago, calling a board game collection. And now, here are your hosts, Tambi and Crystal. One quick announcement before we hop into the main episode, and that is that a little more than a week from when this episode releases, I, Crystal, will be at PAX Unplugged! Yay! It's my first board game convention since the pandemic started, and I'm really, really excited to go see friends and publishers and just play some games and lots of fun stuff. I'm going to be meeting with some publishers. If any publishers are listening to this and would like to show me any of your new stuff, old stuff, upcoming stuff, whatever you've got, feel free to reach out to us, boardgameblitz at gmail.com. Otherwise, if you're just somebody who's going to be attending PAX, please come say hi to me. And don't I don't want to hear after the fact that you were like, oh, I saw Crystal, but I, I, you know, she was busy or she looked busy. Like, come say hi to me, please. I need social interaction. It's been too long. (laughs) So yeah, hopefully I'll get to see a bunch of you all there. And if you are in a place where you're not comfortable traveling and being in large groups yet, I 100% understand. I get it. And hopefully I'll get to see you at an event in the future. I just got a review copy of That Time You Killed Me from Pandasaurus Games. So That Time You Killed Me is a new game published 2021, designed by Peter C. Hayward and published by Pandasaurus Games. It's a abstract game about time travel, two-player abstract strategy game. So I usually don't play that many abstract games, but this is That Time You Killed Me was the most thematic abstract game I've played, which I guess isn't saying much because I haven't played that many abstract games. But I mean, but that's still saying something that there yes. is theme involved because most abstract games like have very little theme. Yeah, yeah. So, so the theme is that you both of you are like friend or were friends, I guess. One of you invented time travel, and then the other one uh, went back in time using the time machine to kill the inventor of time travel, and then claimed that they invented time travel and so no one knows who actually invented time travel because we keep just going back and killing each other <laughs> like <laughs> claiming that we're the inventor of time travel so, so very, like very good people obviously <laughs> yeah so so there's like this letter in the instructions there's a lot of flavor text in the instructions of like some mysterious person that's one of our friends i guess saying like we need to figure out who's who and it's a, it's a letter sent back in time and, and that's like throughout the rules the writing from this this person (laughs) and so that that's like the flavor text and the way the game works is there's three different boards there's the past present and future and you have a much a bunch of pawns so you start out with one pawn on each board for each player and you can move around and you try to squish the other person the basic rules are you you like you can move and try to squish the other person to kill them and you want to kill all of their instances on two out of the three boards so they're only in one time period and then you win you can like travel backwards in time though, or forwards in time as one of your actions. To move forwards in time, you just move from well, like one of the past boards to a present board or present to future. But like to, if you travel back in time, then you move back, but then you also place a new pawn where your pawn was because like that makes a clone of yourself moving back in time. 
since that they like sense. age. Yeah, yeah, that's that's logical. <laughs> yeah, so that makes sense. Uh, and then you have a limited supply of pawns. So if you run out of those, and whenever you kill someone, you kind of capture their pawn so they don't have it back. But like if you run out of pawns, then you can't travel back in time anymore. So I guess that's kind of like your traveling energy. I don't, I don't know what that is. But but yeah, so I, I played with Toby a couple times. There's actually four chat. It's kind of like a campaign game. There's four chapters to it. And each chapter has different rules that you play by um you pick one of the chapters to play well you play in order but like each one is separate like after you finish chapter one chapter two you put away the chapter one stuff and they each add different things um and different ways to kill people and different things that you can move so we played chapter one it felt like an abstract game when you're playing so it didn't feel super thematic while playing. So Toby was kind of disappointed because he expected it to be more thematic. Um, he also didn't read the rule book. So like reading the rule book made it feel more thematic, I think, to me, because that was kind of fun reading all the flavor text. And I tried to explain it to him like with the flavor text, but still like playing the game itself. It's an abstract game and you have perfect information, which doesn't really happen in real life time travel, as we all know, because we've all done time travel oh yeah totally yeah every yeah. time i time travel i don't have perfect information yeah so so, <laughs> so that part because i guess like each cloppy of yourself wouldn't know what other people are doing i think <laughs> I <don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah that part it feels like an abstract strategy game and it's also a campaign so you kind of want to play with the same person over and over i don't want to like give any spoilers but i read through the rules to see like what else it has because i'm not sure if toby's gonna play the rest of it with me but it will add more things and it's kind of like legacy slash campaign you i don't you don't destroy anything but but there are achievements and stuff so so is all of the information open as well as like um it, during the game yeah each game is going to be open information but like there's new things that you open and add to the game okay. and so like you could get like special powers or something but like each game in itself is open information. Well, the reason I ask is because if Toby's not interested in it, but you kind of are still at least curious, like mm -hmm. I would, if, if maybe we could play that over a stream, like you could just. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking. If we can schedule that sometime. I know, it, it, scheduling things is tough, <laughs> yeah. but I don't own the game. And you and I have mm -hmm. actually played a couple of abstract games together in the past. Yeah. Uh, like at BlitzCon, we had some stuff in the Play to Win library that we played. And so I know that I enjoy playing abstract games with you, so. Yeah, and yeah, I was thinking of that, but like I did want to talk about it on the podcast because um, it's out and now and uh, if you want it in time for the holidays or something but that, yeah that's my first impression like if you like abstract strategy games and you like the idea of an abstract strategy game with like a little more theme and flavor text it actually has really good components too and then also you're playing with the same person multiple times in a row so it has like a campaign with that same person then um, that time you killed me is pretty good I think would you say like if somebody has like an uncle or a, a grandpa or somebody that likes, you know, chess, checkers, those types of games. Is it easy enough rule-wise to teach to somebody who isn't a hobby gamer? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. At least, like, the first parts. And then, because each chapter adds on different rules. So, like, the basic rules are very simple. And then the chapters add on a couple of rules each. So, you, the, you know the basic rules and then you just add a couple of rules and that's pretty easy. Oh, nice. And okay. then it, it has the feel of like a chess-like game. I mean, I'm not very good at chess either, <laughs> but like it, it's like the planning ahead, trying to trap your opponent. And then you're trying to like make them run out of their pawns so that they can't travel through time anymore. And then you trap them in the future or whatever. 
I, I managed to do that in the second game. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm very much, when I play abstract games, it's hard for me to see like multiple mm-hmm. moves ahead. I'm always just like thinking in the moment and then all of a sudden yeah. so I'm checkmated. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the, the first game I played, like, yeah, I got, I lost terribly, but like, I, I saw the moves. I was like, oh yeah, I, like Toby can kill me there. Um, but I was thinking like, oh, that's okay. But then it wasn't okay. <laughs> because then i lost (laughs) like oh whoops (laughs) but yeah that's that's that time you killed me the two-player abstract game but like time travel themed (laughs) and yeah it's it's pretty cool well speaking of time travel (laughs) uh ambi those who have been listening to the podcast for a long time have heard both you and i in the past review time stories which is a Mm -hmm series of games from Space Cowboys. They had a white box series of games where you purchased the first box and then you bought expansion boxes that included new components and new scenarios. And then you used the components from the original box with the expansion stuff to play all the scenarios. In fact, you and I actually did a spoiler cast about, Mm. I think, three or four of the scenarios that we had played at the time. Yeah. We never ended up doing another one about some of the other (laughs) scenarios. And I'm going to preface what I'm about to say with a couple of things. So I'm going to be reviewing Time Stories Revolution, the Hadal Project, which is part of the Blue Box series that came after the White Box series. I am not going to spoil anything specific in this game. There are spoilers. I'm not going to spoil anything specific, but I will be giving some generalities. I would say almost everybody, you do not need to worry about anything I'm about to say unless you just really somehow desperately want to play this and haven't played it yet. But I'm hoping that there are people like me out there who played some or all of the White Box series and have been sitting around curious about the Blue Box series and wondering... That's me. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> said before we started recording, like, oh, yeah, that's me. Like, most people, myself included think that the White Box series ended horrifically. Like, it was one of the most disappointing gaming experiences I've ever had in my entire life, and I am not exaggerating. Like, I, it is hard for me to imagine any experience that will disappoint me more than the finale of the White Box series. So I went into the Blue Box series with pretty low expectations, and I still came away incredibly disappointed. <laughs> so, the Hadal Project, part of Time Stories Revolution. So Revolution as the Blue Box series are all standalone. You can play them in any order and there is not like a base box that you have to buy. Each mm-hmm. box is singular standalone, can be played just by itself. Some of the mechanics from the original White Box series have been removed, including the time track that was what caused you to loop back in time and start from scratch. That's gone. The dice are gone. Like most of the main mechanics of the original game have been removed and there are some things that have replaced them. Most notably, there is a resource in the game called Azrak, and it's these little blue gems, and they're basically like your time energy. So instead of spending time on a track and moving a counter down a track, you spend gems when you have to spend time. And so if you don't have gems, then you can't do certain actions, or you have to refresh your supply of gems. Those gems also help you mitigate tests that you have to complete during the run. So whenever you have a test that you have to complete with your character, you can use your Azrak to make it easier 
theoretically. The reason you need to sometimes make it easier is because you're either your skills aren't good enough to begin with or because you have to uh, watch out for the modifier deck. So instead of having dice rolls as a randomness thing, there's a small deck of like eight cards that have modifiers on them ranging from negative two to positive two and everything in between. And every time you do a test, you have to flip over a card from that deck. So your tests are going to randomly get modified every single time, which is incredibly frustrating because all of the tests that you have to do, the skill checks basically, often have a few different things that can happen at the end of it. If you get lower than the number you're supposed to get, then you get kind of a crummy reward. If you get higher than the number you're supposed to get, you kind of get like a medium reward. And if you hit the number dead on, you get a magical awesome reward. Oh, and like, but that's almost impossible to do because of the modifier deck. So like we would like boost up over the top of our number just to be safe. And then a plus two would come out and it's like, okay, well that was a waste. But like, needless to say, the skill checks were too easy for that reason, because we could use our Azrak to like boost ourselves up. And then the modifier deck was very, you know, like it wasn't often bringing us back down a lot. So Skill checks were not interesting in any way, shape, or form. Uh, like, I, I didn't like the dice in the original, and I think I like the Azrak skill tests with the modifier deck even less. This scenario specifically, the Hadal project, I felt no emotional connection to the story or the characters that we encountered or the receptacles that are, that we were embodying. In the original time stories, you could jump from receptacle to receptacle between runs. You could basically switch your character. Mm -hmm. And in this game, you don't switch characters. You just pick one and keep it. And you would think that that would get you more invested in it. But there was like very little flavor text about the characters. And they weren't that interesting. <laughs> like they were pretty boring. Oh, and the artwork was uh, objectifying on the female character in a pretty mm. extreme way. And I was like taken aback by some of the choices in the artwork. I was like, are you kidding me right now? So that was also disappointing. Uh, the, the overall, this is not a spoiler again, but the overall story is that you're on an underwater uh, science station and there was an accident recently that knocked out one of the tunnels in the, the station and that tunnel's being repaired your team is there and you um, are trying to solve a global pandemic by finding a cure for it. And that's the theme, kind of. That's the beginning of the theme. Obviously, it goes from there that I'm not going to spoil in case anyone after this somehow does want to play it. But I, I don't recommend uh, in case you couldn't tell. We had a lot of questions about the rules as we went. And there were a lot of things in the rule book that were hard to find, including specifically, we played with three players and there are modified rules if you're playing with two or three players, but they have those rules split up into different sections of the rule book. So we missed a key thing that you have to do if you're playing with less than four players because it was in an entirely different section of the rule book. And we got stuck as a result and had to like figure out like, we, we couldn't progress. We couldn't do anything. And then we found out later that there was a section in the rulebook that had something different and then we were able to fix it. But like we ended up cheating our way through a couple of things like that because we just didn't know what else to do. The glossary in the back of the rulebook was a little bit helpful. I'll give that credit. Like when we did have questions about a specific term or things like that, the glossary was pretty helpful. The experience just got less and less enjoyable the more we played. Like I kept 
putting my head down and like sighing and just telling my friends, for the record, I'm enjoying playing this game with you all, but gosh, this game sucks. <laughs> like, I was just mad. Like, it's weird for me to feel offended by a board game because that's a silly thing to say, truly. And I get that. I appreciate mm -hmm. that. But like, I think it's because Time Stories as a whole started off so good that like, mm -hmm. it is actually bothersome to me that it's that seemingly Space Cowboys has just stopped caring about this game series at all. Like, that's what it feels like. I'm not saying they actually don't care, obviously. I'm sure there are a lot of people who put a lot of work into this game, and I don't want to discount that, but there is too much wrong for what it is. And I just, I cannot recommend it at all. And I don't often talk about games I don't like here on the podcast, but I had to because I imagine there are other people like me who were, like, curious about it. And I will say... I am not playing a single other Time Stories game at all, no matter what, going forward. Like, they they have lost mm -hmm. me. Like, they already lost me after Madame. And then, it you know, time passed. And I was like, okay, let's give this a shot. Never again. <laughs> never. Like, never again. Like, they would... I don't... I can't fathom a world in which I play a new Time Stories game yeah. going forward. Wait, so is there still, like, the time travel and you have to repeat the same thing? Nope. It's weird because that doesn't exist anymore since there is no time track. You have a mechanic via which you can refresh your ASRAC mm -hmm. and you can only do that a certain number of times. But, but like it's no longer time travel or something? It mm -hmm. is technically. <laughs> like you are in receptacles in uh -huh. the year, I think it's 2099. Oh, but it's just like a one-time loop. There, uh, There is technically a little bit more to it than that that I'm not going to get into because, again, I, I do want people to be able to play this if they want without having it yeah. spoiled. There is a little bit more time traveliness included, but I can't describe it without spoiling part oh, okay. of the plot. But it's not like the original where you actively mm -hmm. choose, basically, to yeah. go back to the beginning. Like, you travel back to the beginning of what you were doing. It's mm -hmm. You just keep pushing forward. And that's honestly another problem with it is in the original game, when you stumbled across a thing and you're like, oh, we need a, this special artifact to do this one task, but we don't have it. But, oh, I saw that artifact at that other location. Then when you loop back around and do the whole thing again, you mm -hmm. pick up the artifact when you go there and then you can progress. But in this game, we often were like, where should we go next? We don't know. Like there was very little clear direction into what mm -hmm. to do and why to do it. And we just didn't care at all, like truly. <laughs> and I know that my experience is shaded by my feelings about the White Box series. I cannot, yeah. I can't tear those two things apart yeah. in my head. It's impossible. So I, I wonder also if part of it is because like there's so many other games that have come out that give the experience that like Time Stories started with. Time Stories was, was like the first one. So I wonder if you like had gone back and played Time Stories now for the first time, if it would have been as good. Um, That's like, a really probably good point. Not. <laughs> yeah, because the original Time Stories came out in 2015, six yeah. years ago. And it feels like a lot of more interesting narrative driven cool mechanic games have come out since then mm -hmm. i would i would actually love 
to hear from somebody who like today, like this year, this, you know, whatever, like played the first time stories scenario, the white box one yeah. uh, for the first time. I would really be curious to know what their thoughts on it are, because I adored time stories in the beginning. You all, mm-hmm. if you listen to our old yeah. podcasts, you'll hear I was completely in love and so excited to play more scenarios. And it just got worse and worse and worse over time. And the Hadal project most certainly does not redeem time <laughs> stories for me, which honestly bums me out hard because I loved mm-hmm. it so much at one yeah. point. That's why I think I'm so disappointed and offended by the game. I, it's weird to use the word offended, but I am like, I'm mad at this game and it makes me sad. I don't know. So needless to say, the Hadal project, not a winner. And I do not recommend whether you've played time <laughs> stories or not. I think there are much better games for people to explore at this point. episodes ago, which is a weird thing to say, episode 45, Ambie and myself and Cassidy all talked about culling our collections. And it was a really interesting discussion that we had. Also, it made me realize how many games I've acquired in the years since, because when we were talking in that episode, I Mm -hmm. said I was heading toward the 200 mark (laughs) in number of games I own. Mm -hmm. And I'm now well over the 400 mark. (laughs) So I have more than doubled my game collection in just, what, three something years. I was at around 150 and now I'm at about 250. (laughs) So... So yeah, we both we we both got a lot of games in the meantime. But we thought it would be interesting to talk about culling again because it's something that I think a lot of people have on their minds, you know, as we head into the new year or just in general, like especially, you know, during the pandemic, a lot of people haven't been playing games quite Mm -hmm. as much as they usually do. And so more games have been sitting unplayed on people's shelves, ours included. And Ambie and Toby recently did a live stream on our Twitch channel. If you're not following us on Twitch, make sure you go do that. Twitch.tv slash BoardGameBlitz. And they live streamed their culling of their collection. And it was really fun to watch the process. So Ambie, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. So every year, except for last year, because pandemic, we go through our collection and cull it. And usually we give it away at Toby's birthday party. He, We have a birthday party for him in December. Uh, where we have a lot of friends go come over and play board games. We call it T-Con. I think I mentioned this in the the episode, 100 episodes ago. You too, did, but. and I, I yeah. made fun of the fact that you liked you all liked calling everything a convention, even though it's not. Like, Yeah, well, it's a mini-con. Mini <laughs> no, I, when I say it's not, I don't mean, I'm not trying to discount. I think T-Con is a wonderful name for Toby's birthday celebration. Yeah. But yeah, so in previous years, we had raffles. And each person would get a game. And a couple of years ago, I think each person got multiple games. We made like packages of games because they had more games. And this year, we have like 60 games in our pile of <laughs> that we're getting rid of. So, uh, And we're not having that many people over because it's still like <laughs> um, kind of COVID stuff. So uh, yeah, everyone's getting a lot of games, I think. Well, that's pretty exciting for your friends. <laughs> yeah. So we get rid of a lot of games that way. We try to keep it down. We have a couple of Calyx shelves that are like two by fours, I think. Yeah, two by fours and then one, three two by fours and one one by four. That's that's how many Calyxes we have. So yeah, they're, they're, they were 
overflowed and I had like games on the floor and up it stairs in our room and so we're like okay we really need to call now <laughs> because we are way out of space but I think we called down so that we have enough space for the games we have which is nice but yeah like for how we choose what to call we didn't have like a super big process on the stream I think we were just, we were just going through it and be like Toby would go through and, and see like okay this one and then get rid of it and then I, I would either agree or disagree so if we both agree that we can get rid of it then we got rid of it if one of us didn't want to get rid of it then it would go on the maybe pile or like we'd come back to it later depending how strongly the the wanting to keep was. But the things that I think about are, I actually talked about this on a board game breakfast segment last year. So some things I think about is if, if we like the game and, and if we play it, like if our copy, specifically our copy, because if our friend owns the same game and we only play the game with our friend with their copy, like then we don't need a copy of that game, even if it's like one of our favorite games. That's how I was with Takedo. I was like, the yeah. only time I played Takedo was with my friend who loves Takedo and they own it. So I don't need to own yeah. it, even though I really like the game. And also like when we think about buying games, I always like bring that up too, because Toby was thinking of buying... um sidereal confluence because he likes that game a lot i like it okay but like we mostly just play it with our friend who has it and it's his favorite game or like one of his favorite games so like we always just play it with him with his copy i think he has two copies or something <laughs> so i'm like we're, we're never gonna play it. if we get a copy like who else would we play it with and he's like oh yeah you're right so he didn't buy it so that's an, a way to call just don't buy it <laughs> pre-calling is what yeah is, yeah pre-calling yeah but i guess we're not very good at that because we both like almost or you yeah. double deflection, and I almost doubled. Double deflection. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I guess getting review copies also uh, contributes to that. A little bit, yes. <laughs> little. But truthfully, most of my acquisitions have been purchased by me. <laughs> so I can't even blame, I can't blame publishers for most mm. of my, my growth in my collection. Yeah. And I guess another reason I would keep games is if it's like sentimental, like super sentimental or rare. And I want to keep it. So like... I got a game in Japan called Kirby's Sweets Party <laughs> and I've been wanting this because I love Kirby, the character. Um, and we played it and it wasn't a very good game, but but it's like, it was a limited edition Kirby board game for like Kirby anniversary or something. And so I really like Kirby. So I'm keeping that one. I mean, and that kind of lends itself to the fact that there are people out there who I believe are of the mindset that like board games are meant to be played uh, mm -hmm. And so if you're not playing them, what's the point? You know, it's the same people who are like, you know, why would you buy Funko Pops and keep them in the box? You know, <laughs> you're defeating the purpose. It's a toy. You should mm -hmm. play with it kind of a thing. And in my mind, obviously, we love playing board games. We have a board game podcast, for goodness sakes. Mm -hmm. But like, we call it a board game collection for a reason. Like, <laughs> you are, like, for me, I get joy out of acquiring games like obviously mm -hmm. I enjoy playing them but I also enjoy getting new games and collecting them and like getting a variety of games and I don't always buy a game solely because I want to play it now obviously mm -hmm. that's usually the primary driver like I don't buy games that I don't want to play but <laughs> I will buy games for a variety of reasons on top of the fact that I want to play them like mm -hmm. I want to support the designer of the game yeah, or yeah. the publisher or the artist or it seems like something that a friend of mine would enjoy and so I get it so I can theoretically show it to them like there's a lot of reasons to have games in my collection that I might not want to play all the time and so for me 
when I moved a year ago, I technically did call my p collection, but it doesn't count because I still have all of the games <laughs> because it's the middle of a pandemic and I don't know what to do with them. So uh, um. when I moved, before I packed to move a year ago, my friend Kathy, I love her so much, she came over to my house and helped me go through all of my games and we separated out the ones that I was willing to sell, trade, you know, donate, whatever. And so those went into separate boxes from the rest of my games and they are in the garage. They're not even in the house. So mm -hmm. when I say I own more than 400 games, there's actually a lot of that number that isn't even on my shelves. It's like in the garage. Oh, okay. So I did technically call. I know I say I never call my collection, yeah. <laughs> but I kind of did. I just, I figure maybe I'll bring them to Dice Tower West. But honestly, a lot of the games that I've called, because I haven't ever called before, a lot of the things in there are things that most hobby gamers either already own or could easily get on their own elsewhere. They're not mm -hmm. things that you are in high demand. Like Seven Wonders is a great example. Mm -hmm. Good game. I enjoy playing it. I just never play my own copy, so there's no reason for me to keep it. Yeah. Who am I going to sell Seven Wonders to? Mm -hmm. Honestly, that feels like next time my neighborhood does like a garage sale, I should just put out some t like a table and say five bucks are free to somebody and <laughs> yeah. like give some of those games away and it, you know, if people end up not playing them, that's neither here nor there. But, like, I don't know what to do with a lot of those types of games. Yeah, I wonder if you can, like, donate them to Board Game Cafe or something. Yeah, maybe. No pun included, just did a YouTube video where they culled half of their collection. So their method for culling was very harsh because they were doing a target number, which I never do. We don't do, like, a target number. <laughs> um, and we're going to link to that video in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, y'all should go check it out. They're, they're they're getting a lot of really positive feedback on that video. And so y'all should definitely go take a look at it. And if you don't know, non, no pun included, you're in for a treat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and I think they mentioned that they uh, donate a bunch of them to a board game cafe. They also called a few a bunch of 18xx games that they're giving to like their friends who play 18xx because like that wouldn't make sense at a board game cafe. I could possibly also check with local libraries. Or like I a library. Yeah. Yeah. Like, because I don't truthfully like... I don't think many of the games in there would be, like, worth any significant amount of money. Like, mm -hmm. obviously, if I sold yeah. all of them, I could end up with a little bit of cash. But that's not the goal for me. Yeah, same, same with us. That's why we give them away to our friends. Right. So, and I, I do want them to go to, you know, a place where they will be loved and used, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and for some of those titles, mm -hmm. it'll be harder to find that right place. And especially during, you know, since it's been pandemic times, I haven't wanted to, like go wandering out to a random place or go like yeah. meet people to trade things and whatnot so chances are I'll, i might bring some of them to dice tower west like to the the flea market there or um like do ma a math trade or something i don't know but culling is difficult for me i suffer from executive dysfunction which makes it really difficult for me to complete certain tasks and going through items and separating them out and boxing them up and then doing something with them after the fact that's a whole lot of steps that my brain doesn't want to do generally mm -hmm. and so it's it's a difficult task for me to undertake which is why it's so nice to have a friend like Kathy because like mm -hmm. if I'm tasked with doing these things on my own I'll never do them honestly like I just it's really really hard for me so 
I would say if anybody else out there struggles with stuff like that, find yourself a friend. Even if that friend (laughs) just sits on the floor and cheers you on while you do the work. Like for me, that sometimes helps. Like just having somebody there to keep me accountable so I don't get distracted and be like, oh, Mm -hmm. I'll take a break for a couple minutes and play a video game. And all of a sudden it's four (laughs) hours later. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) Toby's actually helped me a lot get or get a lot better at culling because I'm kind of like a hoarder. (laughs) I I am a little bit too in this regard. So I get it. So with other things, I'm still like not willing to get rid of a lot of other things, but board games, I've gotten a lot better at getting rid of them because we, we get new board games and we like playing new ones. And so getting rid of old ones that we don't play isn't as bad for me now because like we just can't play them all. (laughs) And so just like cycling through them. I mean, I own more games now than there are days in the year. So like, <laughs> yeah. I could, I couldn't even play through my whole collection if I played a game a day. And obviously, I'm never going to do that. Mm-hmm. And we, we actually haven't gotten rid of the games that we cold yet. They're still sitting on the floor <laughs> in our game room, and we're going to be giving them away. But we did get rid of some of them. We like a friend came over to play games. And then we're like, hey, do you want any of these games? And so... He took a bunch of our escape room type games. Oh, nice. So we have the pile of games that we are willing to get rid of. And then we just, if our friends come over, we're like, hey, do you want any of these? You can pick one. See, I don't, that doesn't work for me because like most of my game group people are not people that have huge collections. And so they don't mm-hmm. need, they don't want more games. And oh. then Greg is my, uh, my buddy that has a oh, huge has game collection. He has all of them already. Yeah. He doesn't need any games. Yeah. Greg listens to the podcast. So Greg, if you want any of my games, you're always welcome to them. <laughs> although I know you don't need them. <laughs> I was proud of myself that I was able to make some decisions a year ago. Mm-hmm. I have to sometimes recognize that like, it's okay to get rid of a game because I can repurchase it if I really want to. Yeah. I am lucky that I have enough income to be able to buy board games in the first place. And that if in theory... I, you know, sold or traded a game away and then realized that somehow I desperately needed it back in my life, I'd be able to reacquire it. There are very few games that are impossible to get. Like, you you know, I mean, not just because it's my number one game, but like, I'm never giving away Battlestar Galactica, ever. Like, you you will have to pry Battlestar Galactica <laughs> out of my cold dead hands. Like, because mm-hmm. it's never coming back and it's very difficult to find. But I don't own a lot of games like that. Almost everything I own, I think the ones that would be hardest for me to get rid of are the ones from overseas, like some of the, yeah, the Japanese yeah. games that I own and things like mm-hmm. that. Similarly to what you mentioned, because those would be harder to reacquire. Mm-hmm. Um, so even and that, so I think the bar for me on how much I like a game is lowered for games like that that mm-hmm. would be harder to get again. Whereas if it's yeah, a same here. yeah, if it's a generic American publisher or North American or European publisher game. That's easier for me to let go, generally. Yeah, yeah. for us, there's like some 18xx games and other train games that are rare. But then still, even if it's rare and then we don't like it, <laughs> then then I'm like, okay, we should just get rid of it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you yeah. completely don't like a thing, that's, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm saying, like, if something is kind of like, oh, that's okay. Yeah, But yeah, especially so. those Japanese games often have, like, there's a uniqueness mm-hmm. to them that even yeah. if I don't like them quite as much, they still feel special to play, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think with our friend, we had a rare game and, and he actually bought it from us. One of the rare train games. We liked it okay, but then like we weren't really going to play it that much. And then he really wanted it. So we're like, okay, <laughs> you, can, you can buy it from us because it's rare. So so we yeah, yeah, just yeah. give it to him. <laughs> yeah, no, that seems yeah. fair. 
Well, I would love to hear from our listeners if they've done any culling during the past couple of years, you know, if they've realized that there are games that they could live without or games that they desperately want back that they culled forever ago. So y'all hit us up on social media or in our board game Geek Guild and give us all of your culling information. We'd love to hear about your game collections and what you do to help maintain them. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, BoardGameBlitz.com, for video and blog content, as well as to get links to all our social media pages. This episode was sponsored by Grey Fox Games. Head to LastLightGame.com to learn more about the exciting new Forex game coming to GameFound soon. And if you're doing holiday shopping, you can get 20% off non-exclusive items when you use the code BGBLITZ21 at GreyFoxGames.com. Join the Blitzketeer community on Discord by following the link in the show notes. You can support the show by leaving us a rating and review on your podcast provider. And if you want behind-the-scenes access and an invite to our private Slack channel, visit patreon.com slash boardgameblitz. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Mara. Technical support provided by Toby Mao. Board Game Blitz is part of the Dice Tower Network. Until next time, call me. Call me. On the line. Call me, call me any, any time. Bye, everyone. Bye. In just a few days... Uh, well, wait, what, when is, when is time? Hold on. When does this come out? Wait, when is time? <laughs> um, <laughs> what is, well, today? I mean, considering the games we're talking about this episode, a week, I don't know. A week, in about a week. That's, okay, okay, I'm going to start that again. Okay. <laughs> that all have modifiers on them, ranging from negative. Okay, Siri's talking. My, my watch started talking. That was mildly <laughs> terrifying. Uh, that was, that scared me a lot. <laughs>